sit with me in your imagination on board that ship this past week and do as I did, imagine what it was like to be Jonah. Jonah in a storm, not Buckner on a beach in the smooth Caribbean, but Jonah in a storm, about to be thrown overboard, engulfed by the waves and swallowed by fish. That is a frightening prospect. Use your imagination. Picture that happening to you. It is not something devoutly to be desired, to be sure. What about Jonah? I can imagine someone sitting here saying, wait a minute, Buckner, time out, come on. You are semi-intelligent. You don't believe. You surely don't believe that this event recorded in the Bible, this story of Jonah, actually happened, that this man was actually swallowed by a fish, do you? Yeah, I do, because I'm Jonah. The reason I know that the truths of this story are divinely inspired is not because they happened to a Jonah 3,000 years ago or so, but because they happened to me, and they're happening to you, and they probably happened to nearly everybody in this room. And I want to try to explain that this morning. We're Jonah. This is our story. The Bible is basically biography. And this story recorded in the Scripture is a dialogue between a man and God and the hero of the story is not the man, but God. Now hear me. I am not primarily concerned with trying to convince you intellectually that the God of creation made a fish big enough to swallow a man. I don't doubt he could do that if he wanted to do it. But I'm not here to try to convince you of that fact this morning. I tell you what I am here to do, and I am primarily concerned with this, and that is to persuade you that the God of grace, that the God of love, and that the God of forgiveness has expressed that love and that grace and that forgiveness so internationally and so personally that that love can swallow up all of the guilt and the sin and the pain and the fear and the alienation and the anger of the whole world. The infallible truth recorded here in this story is not just about a God who is big enough to create a fish to swallow up Jonah, but about a God who is big enough to do something more magnificent than that, to swallow up all of our sin in the victory of the resurrection and the triumph of Jesus Christ. That is the truth of this story. And that is why it is my story 
and it is your story. Don't miss the big story because you get hung up on the other story. You can believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish. You can believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. You can believe that Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. You can believe that every word of the Bible is true and be as lost as the devil himself. For the devils believe, but make no commitment to the love and the grace of God. Don't miss the story because you let the story get in the way. It's your story. It's my story. It's Jonah. We know very little about him. That's because God just wanted to use somebody that anybody could walk into his shoes and they would fit. Jonah is every man. And he and God uh, got into a conversation and God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell these folks over there in Nineveh that the way they're living is going to bring about their own destruction unless they change. Nineveh, capital of hated, feared, atrocious Assyria, the scourge of the earth, to mention their name, would run shivers down the back of the world in that day. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to those people you hate and detest and fear and abhor and tell them that I love them and want to forgive them and want to change their life. Now to bring this story a little more personally to home, Nineveh was once named, uh, Nineveh is now named Mosul, M-O-S-U-L. Mosul happens to be the second largest city in Iraq. Go to Iraq and tell them God of grace and the God of love cares for them. Yes, but Lord, there are enemies. Go. Yes, but Lord, I'm afraid of those folks. Go. I can see why Jonah got up and ran. I mean, give this guy credit for being a human being. He says he ran away from God because he was afraid. Who wouldn't have been afraid? What was he afraid of? Well, I don't know. I can only use my imagination, but it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see that he feared the Ninevites and the Assyrians with good reason. He feared them. They'll kill me. They killed prophets in those days rather quickly. Or he could have been afraid of the Israelites. He could have been afraid of being alienated by his own people while he's off there making deals with the enemy. Oh, you're not supposed to do that. Our enemies are God's enemies. The people we hate, God hates. Sure, that's right, isn't it? Sure, that's what I grew up believing. Jonah says, oh, my own family might reject me. My own nation might reject me. I'd be a traitor to my own calling. I'm not about to do that. I personally believe, knowing the full story, as I've studied it here and read it a lot over the last uh, few weeks, 
Abilene Jonah was primarily afraid of something deeper than that. He was primarily afraid of grace, a God of grace. He wanted a God that always just handed out merit badges for spiritual attainment. And he had the same fear that John Newton had, and that's why he wrote about it in Amazing Grace, verse 2. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. He feared the grace of God. He wanted a God that was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth kind of God, that my enemies were God's enemies, and who I wanted killed, he would kill. And Jonah knew God, and he knew that if he went there, God was going to show his grace to those folks, and Jonah didn't want that. And so he ran. God told him to go east. He went west. He went down and got on a boat. This boat was manned by a bunch of Phoenicians. The, the, the Jews were not seafaring people. The Phoenicians lived along the, co the coast, and they were the ones who manned the vessels. And he went down there and got on a vessel, bought a ticket to go to Tarshish. That was at the opposite end of the Mediterranean Sea. That was the furthest spot on the then-known earth. It would be in today's Spain. And he headed there, and God sent a storm after him, not because he wanted to punish him, but because he wanted to get him back on the right track. God will send a storm after any man who persists in going the wrong direction, not to punish him, but to rescue him. Please remember this. If you forget everything else that's said, God's eternal purposes are redemptive and not punitive. More simply, God's a lot more concerned with rescue and redemption and salvation than he is with blame and judgment. He sent a storm after him to try to wake him up because he was down on the bottom of the ship fast asleep. And they awakened him and those Phoenician sailors were scared to death because they didn't know which one of their 50 gods was mad at them because the Phoenicians were polytheists. They had at least 50 gods. And they didn't know which one was angry, and so they were trying to make the rounds before the storm put them under because they knew somebody's God was mad with them. And so they cast lots, the King James says. Uh, the Living Bible says they drew straws, and Jonah came up with a short straw. And they said, man, you're the Jonah. You're the, you're the cause of the storm. He said, that's right. And he said, let me tell you why. I am a Jew. Listen to this man witness. I am a Jew. I worship Jehovah, the God of heaven, who made the earth and sea. And then he told them he was running away from God. How I many witnessed to them, even in his rebellion? And the men were terribly frightened, the story tells us, when they heard this, Oh, why did you do this? They shouted. What should we do to you to stop the storm? Jonah said, Why don't you just throw me overboard? They said, Oh, no, no, we don't want to do that. They did two things before they did that. They tried harder to row the boat ashore. They made every effort to try to save that vessel. And then they prayed. And they didn't pray to one of their 50 gods. They prayed to Jehovah. They prayed to the God of the Jews, these men who didn't even believe in this God. They prayed. Listen to them. Jehovah's God. Oh, Jehovah, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Storm continued. They complied with Jonah's wish. They threw him overboard and the storm stopped. The men, the Phoenician unbelievers, stood there in awe before Jehovah and sacrificed to him and vowed to serve him. You talk about the most unusual evangelistic campaign ever conducted. It was on board that Phoenician vessel in the middle of a storm when a rebellious preacher confessed that he was running away from God and they threw him overboard and everybody on the ship was converted not to Jonah but to Jonah's God who could stop a storm. 
Jonah didn't even intend for those folks to be witnessed to. He wouldn't have done it if he hadn't been under the pressure of those circumstances. Here, a whole boatload of Phoenicians converted. Now, the storm was there to rescue, to awaken, but God wasn't through rescuing, and he wasn't through awakening. The Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Look, any old port in a storm, brother, I wouldn't choose to be in a whale's belly, but that's better than drowning in the sea, right? All of the troubles that we sometimes have, that whale of troubles that we have, is not always some punitive action, the result of our own disobedience. It can be the protective action of God preserving you when you are underneath and over your head and on the bottom. And that's where jo Jonah was. You can't get any lower than being on the bottom of a whale's belly on the bottom of the ocean. And here is this man. The whale was a provision of God's grace to protect him in a time of rebellion, to protect him in a time of disobedience, to protect him from the ravaging waves of a destructive storm. God's on your side, Jonah. God wants to help you, Jonah. God wants you on the right track, Buckner. God wants to save you. I'll provide a whale to encompass you until you get over your hard-heartedness and start praying. And then Jonah prayed. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. One reason I know Jonah was a Baptist is because he is so hard-headed. Man, three days before he prayed, I wouldn't have waited 30 seconds. I guess that's because I'm a moderate or something. I would have gotten to this thing quicker. I wouldn't have waited three days. Wow. Three days before he prayed from inside the fish's belly? Oh, marvelous prayer, although he's kind of mixed up in it. He blames his troubles on God for a while there. In my great trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of death, I called, and Lord, you heard me. Then I said, oh, Lord, you have rejected me and cast me away. How shall I ever again see your holy temple? Come on, Jonah. Here he is trying to blame God for the predicament he's in. Fess up to the fact that you're headed the wrong way. Don't try to shift the blame. Face up to it. God's there to redeem you, not to blame you, but make, be honest about it. God didn't throw you here. Your own actions got you in this mess. And I'm going to get you out, but admit that it wasn't my punishment that brought you here. But my protection is going to get you out of here. I'm for you, Jonah. I'm, and, and he came to see that in his prayer. Hope you'll read it. Just a short little story. You can read it in 30 minutes. He says, and oh, what a statement. I was locked out of life and imprisoned in the land of death. What a, what a descriptive phrase. Does that apply to you, Jonah? You feel like you're caught in a whale of trouble on the bottom of nowhere? I was locked out of life and imprisoned in the land of death, but, oh, Lord, my God, you have snatched me from the yawning jaws of death. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. That's what Martha was referring to in her testimony before, her, uh, before she sang about these people we were with. Everybody that we talked to at any depth at all personally, 
didn't talk about their troubles. They talked about what God had done to bring them out of trouble, how God had been the great deliverer, the great protector, the great redeemer. They were Jonas. This is our story, friend. It's happening right here, right now, in your heart and mine and our lives. The Lord heard Jonah. Isn't that great? The miracle of this story isn't that Jonah prayed, my soul, who wouldn't pray after three days in the fish's belly? The miracle is not that Jonah prayed. The miracle is that God would hear him when he prayed and deliver him, had him vomited out on the beach. Cabana waiting for him right there. Safe, secure, protected, delivered. Then the Lord came to him a second time. The Lord called him again. Just a word, but it's so important. Aren't you glad we worship a God of another chance? How many of us in this room responded to God the first time he touched our hearts and our lives? I can say with John Donne, the rector of St. Paul's Cathedral, many years ago, the great preacher that he was, in his prayer, O oh God, I thank you for my call and for my recall, and yea, for my many calls beside. Oh God, I thank you. Not only for that call at 10 years of age, and that call at 17, and that call at 21, and that call, and that call, and that call, and that recall. Oh God, I thank you that however I might have disobeyed and walked in the wrong direction or ended up in the bottom of something called nowhere, you were there to hear me and redeem me, and I thank you. Jonah headed for Nineveh, and when Jonah got to Nineveh, Nineveh came to God, and it made Jonah mad. He changed his behavior, but his attitude was still all messed up. He got there and he was so, the whole city repented. And it just made Joseph so angry he could chew nails. And he said, God, I told you, I told you, I told you what kind of God you were and that if I came here, you'd forgive all those people and I wanted you to kill every one of them. I wanted you to nuke Nineveh. <laughs> and you didn't do it, you saved them. And they're not like us and they don't believe like us. And they don't behave like us. We don't like them, and we know you don't either, but you, you did it again. I just can't take it. And so God has to go on teaching Jonah. The story doesn't end just with the fish. I mean, there's marvelous lessons that go on. What is that saying? That's saying, listen to me. There's not one of us in this room, beginning with this preacher, with whom God is through. We all have some attitudinal changes that need to be constantly revised. We're all in need of a new spirit and new comprehension of the ways and the Word of God. Not one of us is a finished product. Not one of us has graduated from the school of Christ or ever will in this life. Jonah got to teach you something. Jonah, try to get it, buddy. Listen. I care about the whole world. I care about the Phoenicians and the Ninevites. And I care about those people you used to sing about in Sunday school. And then you rejected when you got older. The red and the yellow and the black and the white. You sang in Sunday school, Joni, you just didn't preach it in big church. 
and you didn't practice it in your community. Jonah, you've got some things to learn yet. You've got some attitudinal changes. Jonah, get it, my friend. I love the whole world. That's what God's been trying to say from the beginning, that he is a God of grace, unconditional grace, that he is a God of unconditional forgiveness, that he is a God of unconditional love, and he's going to keep telling the world that message until it kills him. And it did. That's exactly what killed him. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Call upon me, and I will answer you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what the cross was all about and is all about. You can't get God's arms open any wider than on that cross. For Jonah, that's why it's my story and it's your story. And the truth of this story is greater than the truth of the story. It's the truth of God and his loving nature, and his forgiving spirit, and his free gift of grace to everybody. Take it. Accept it. For the Christian faith is not primarily a rock we stand upon, but a path we walk upon. It is going and being and doing in his name. Down this aisle or this or this, or from upstairs or the choir, wherever, as we sing God's invitation given to Jonah long ago and to us and to the whole world, just as you are in a whale of trouble, engulfed by problems, overwhelmed by storms, eaten up with fear and doubt, just as I am, I come. I'll wait here to greet you. Let's stand and let's sing.